Let's begin our message today. Life together when conflict comes. Life together when conflict comes. And if you've got a Bible, you can begin turning to Acts 15 because that's where we're going to land this morning. Now, last week we spoke about the various metaphors of church. And we said there's more than one. We talked about the church being a body last week. And just as we need various body parts to make up a healthy body, so we also all play a role in the family of God. And we said that we should warn against insecurity. And that came through in the scripture. Because I am not, that was the the foot saying to the hand, because I am not you, I don't belong in the body. So we warned against insecurity. We also warned against pride. And said that that, that was the, the I don't need you language that we can have in a body as well. I'm kind of self-sufficient. I'll be fine all by myself. And we said both of those are no-go zones in the body of Christ. So the, the church is a body. The church is a bride. The church is also a family. And it's in this analogy of family that we probably come uh, close to this topic today of, of conflict. Because there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a family without issues. There's no such thing as a family who sees every single life issue in the same way. Only one person is doing the thinking if that is the case. And yet, there is such thing as a unified family, despite having some difference. Why is there difference in churches? Well, we we began this series a month ago talking about the head, heart and hands. And we said there's people in the body of Christ that are logical, that kind of judge a church off the basis of its Bible teaching. And these are the head people. And and Bible teaching is very, very, very important. I'm not minimising that for a minute, although it's not all there is. It's one of the ways we experience God. Another way we experience God is through the Holy Spirit, through the gifts of the Spirit. And there's churches that emphasise the heart. And, and their, their rating of how church went was, was the manifest presence of God. But did we feel God in the, in the house today is kind of the, the uh, mantra of that church. But that's not all there is to church. And then there's churches of the hands uh, who are all about, are we outworking this into our community? Do our community even know we exist? What are we doing to serve the poor and and refugees and such things? And so all of these together make up a New Testament church. And yet we have individuals in the room who actually favour one of those corners. And you'll even probably be threatened by one of those corners. But the reality is we all feel passionate about one of those. And what I've invited you to during this series is passion. To don't just be mediocre about those things, but be passionate about those things. But if you're going to be passionate about those things, you're going to bump into each other. We're going to have some collisions along the way because some of you are kind of arguing from your point of view and another person's arguing from the other point of view. But that's what I would call healthy tension. But it means crossing some roads that include conflict. So Acts 15, when conflict comes, how do we do life together? Well, let's start with the pushback. Maybe some of you are thinking, when? Don't you mean if, Jono? No, I mean when. When conflict comes. I make that statement out of full respect for the differences that God has created us with. But conflict at its best is not bad news. It's actually an opportunity for growth if we process it well. 
Now, for some of us, conflict feels about as attractive as visiting the dentist to have a tooth out. There's just no joy in it at all. And yet conflict can be an opportunity for us to grow deeper relationally. And that's what we're going to see in God's Word today. So as we make our way towards the reading, we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 36. But what I want you to know is the backstory. So here here we have Paul and Barnabas who are teammates in the mission of God and have been in that space working together for some time. This is not their first day at work. This is not the case here. They're well acquainted with each other. They've been working together for a period of time. This was a continuation of a partnership that was going well, and yet they strike this problem that we check on here in this morning, verse 36 of Acts 15. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of God, word of the Lord, sorry, to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and that's where the agreement ended. He wanted to take John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he travelled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. I want you to start noticing in our reading this morning that God's people are not immune from conflict. Godly people are not immune from conflict because what we are looking at here are godly people. Two men, mature men, both with a strong passion to share God's love with others. And yet they end up at loggerheads in conflict. They end up not wanting to be in the same room anymore. They end up getting to the point where they didn't just say, catch you later. It was like, have a good life. I don't want to see you ever again. Well, Johnny, you say, I have no trouble believing that people fight. I witness it every day. I see hate online. I see bullying at school. I see ugly stuff in my workplace. I have no trouble at all believing that people can be mean. But God's people... God's people, aren't they supposed to get along? Aren't they supposed to be kind? Aren't they supposed to be different? Didn't we read in Ephesians 4 a couple of weeks ago that we are one in Christ and we have these things that hold us together? Aren't we supposed to be operating in unity? What's this talk about anticipating conflict? Why wouldn't we expect unity? Well, sometimes conflict is a stepping stone to unity. And we won't discover unity without going through this difficult passage that we call conflict. Well, let's not make any assumptions. How do we know that Paul and Barnabas are godly men? Well, I think one reason is because of how their team operation came into being. If we flick back to chapter 13 in Acts, we'd see the foundation of their team. This mission project rose up because they were both faithful leaders in their local church. They were very familiar with each other. They were friends. And don't think about two drinking partners at the local pub who, after their sixth beer, go, what do you reckon we go on a cruise? How about we see the world together? 
This is not how this partnership came into being. They're sailing around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus and they were called out of a local church context where they were faithfully serving God together. They were grounded. They were godly men, committed, dedicated, part of the local leadership at the Antioch church. It wasn't their idea to head off yonder. It was totally a spirit-led thing. We find it in verse 2 of Acts 13. The local leadership team in Acts 13 were, were spending time in worship. And as part of that process, the Holy Spirit speaks in verse 2 and says, Separate Paul and Barnabas for this special task that I've given them. Notice what isn't there. Paul isn't saying, hey, I've got an idea and I'm looking for your permission. I, I, I want to head off on this trip to reach the world. It's not there. It wasn't his idea. Notice what isn't there. Barnabas saying, hey, I've got an idea. How about you send Paul and I off to do this special project? They're not looking for notoriety. They're not looking for a special project. They're just being faithful in daily life and God comes along and picks them. And yet they struggle to work together as time works on. It all comes to a head over this third player in the story. His name's John Mark. Verse uh, 5 of chapter 13 tells about how he came on board. He came on board. He's an assistant to Paul and Barnabas. We can assume then he's there to serve them, to free up their time so they can be, be publicly out there sharing Jesus. There's no reason to think he was doing a terrible job. We, we don't read that in the text. I think he was fitting in just fine. But midway through the trip, for some reason, he takes off. He shoots through. We aren't given all the details. We're left to wonder. We just have eight words. Acts 13, 13. John left the team and headed back to Jerusalem. That's all we get as an explanation about why he left. So all of a sudden, a small team of three becomes just two. John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. And as they gear up for round two to go back and check on progress on another mission trip and check on all the new believers. This sharp disagreement rises up between these two godly men, Paul and Barnabas. They can't agree on who to take on team. Barnabas falls on the love side. Remember we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, speak the truth in love. Barnabas is that loving character. Paul, on the other hand, falls on the truth side. Barnabas wants him to be given another chance. And yet Paul's like, uh-uh, not him, not John Mark. Paul is uh, not opposed to taking along a youngster. We find actually in Acts 16, if you read on there, you can do that in your own time later, he picks young gun Timothy to join his team. So Paul's not opposed to the idea of taking an apprentice along and, and mentoring and pouring in and giving opportunity. It's not that, it's this guy. Because he's a quitter. Now, Barnabas is about grace. Paul is about truth. Barnabas says, Paul, if we're going to build a team based on who's never made a mistake, we'll never find anyone. And Paul's about the mission of God is way too important to take along a flaky character who's going to pull out halfway through. So who's right? Here's the problem with conflict. They both are. We don't just have two sides in this story. We have two 
good sides in this story. We have two quality arguments. Paul wants to ensure that the team members were fully committed and their next mission was not going to be jeopardized by someone at the first side of hardship who takes off and does a runner like John Mark did last time. And Barnabas, he's just all about forgiveness and giving another chance and wanting to try again. Who's right? Neither. Well, both are rather. So what do we do? We've dug ourselves into a hole, right? We're getting stuck. I thought the Bible's supposed to solve our problems, not create them. Well, don't you love the reality? Don't you love the reality? This, this book, it, it could have covered all this up. It could have made it all sound easy peasy. It could have made it sound like God's people never have problems. But actually, read it again. You'll find every single church listed in the New Testament has got issues going along. There's no such thing as a church without conflict. Every single church has got stuff going on. We get a warts and all version of the story in our Bibles. And I, for one, love that. I love that. It gives me great hope to think that this is normal. This is normal. This is life. We don't just have two sides to the story. We have two good sides sides, two godly sides. If all decisions were black and white, it would be simple. But all decisions aren't black and white. Sometimes we're talking about white and white. And it's not right versus wrong, it's, it's right versus right. But what do we do now? And this is what we have here in Acts 15. Both sides of this coin could be justified and be within the will of God. Can I bring this closer to home and have you squirm a little this morning? As you think about the conflicts that have gone on in this church over time, and you look at this principle here, what you'd probably realise is, wow, that's true. We were, we were arguing about the same coin, we were just looking at it from different sides. But most of the time within the Christian church, the things we argue about, we're actually holding the same coin. Just one person's looking at the heads and one person's looking at the tails, but we're actually arguing over the same thing. We both want what's right for God's kingdom work. Use your wild imagination for a moment and see if you can kind of helicopter above the issue that's coming into your mind and you would see that this is true. We didn't just have two sides. We had two legitimate sides. We had two worthy sides. We even had two godly sides at times. Can I press in a little more? My honeymoon period will be officially over in just a few minutes. <laughs> this building is not fully paid off. We have a significant debt. I would like to think that it's a manageable debt, but no doubt we have a debt. There's some people in the room who, who come from the management side of the equation that would say it's really, really, really important we put a dent in that, and we should have done that by yesterday. 
And, and there's some in the room who, 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 from a management perspective, are all about financial kind of structure and, and getting things sorted in that space. And, and I'm on your team. Believe me, I've spent years in retail management. It was all about budget control. It was all about numbers and figures and things balancing. I've worked in that space. That's, that's second nature to me. Financial management is important. Management matters. So there's people who have a biblical argument on that side of the coin that say, hey, hey we need to pay off our debts. We, we, need to, we need to get that in order. And there's people over this side who are more on the mission end of the spectrum who say, like we heard from Tim last Sunday night, there's people in Papua New Guinea that he was telling us about where they're in urgent need. And this isn't about a 10-year plan. This isn't about, you know, how, how is this going to look in 2030? For them, this is life and death today in some cases. And there's people over this side of the equation that go, the building can wait. There's no souls being won or lost on whether we have a debt on our building today, but there are souls being won or lost on what we do in this space. So they're on the mission side of this argument. We have the management side of the argument. We have the mission side of the argument. Who's right? Both. We have two good sides. We're looking at the same coin. No one's wrong. No one's wrong. So now we are totally stumped. Who would like to close in prayer this morning? (laughs) What usually happens on an issue like that? The loudest voice wins. The bully comes into the room and says, well, I think, and people that just sort of calm down from there. But a wise friend of mine once said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. (laughs) So just because the other side quietens down doesn't mean that you won, it means you silenced the other side. But the other side was still worthy of being heard. So what do we do with this? Well, if we really and truly grasp this principle, it's no longer about my opinion getting the last word. It's no longer about I am right and you're not because you differ to me. Not even close. It's possible in God's family to have two opinions that are both worthy and that both belong in the same room. What, what we do is we change the goalposts. And we change the goalpost from, from the wind being me getting my view across to me understanding yours. And that's a vast difference. And that's where maturity starts to kick in. Because you know the most painful human being on the planet? The one that thinks their, their opinion counts and nobody else's does. That's, that's a pathetic human being that thinks there's only one opinion out there and it's mine. We've got to grow beyond that. We've got to learn that just because someone else has a different view to mine doesn't mean it's wrong. Why do I mention all this today? To touch on a raw nerve? Not even close. Actually, to congratulate you that you're still in the same room. (laughs) This is the beauty of the church of God. So unity is actually tested not by how much we agree on, but actually how much we see different and stay in relationship. That's true unity. 
Not because we see everything exactly the same and all our ducks are lined up. No, 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 no. That's just shallow. That's a form of, of pretense unity. True unity is when I actually see things in a completely different light, yet you are my brother, you are my sister, and we are bound together in love because of Jesus Christ. We can have two different sides. We can have two good sides. And Andy Stanley's counsel helps us work in this space where he says, know the difference between a problem to solve and a tension to manage. The thing that I just described before about management and mission is not an access thing. Sorry to break the news, it's a church thing. It, it, it goes on in every church. The, 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 the figures are different and, and the circumstances differ a little bit, but it's just life. It's life. We're, we're always working out these things and where do we land there? But a mature person doesn't, doesn't kind of decide the battles one or lost on whether I get my way. A mature person will understand this. Some tensions are healthy. They're supposed to exist. If we fall one side of that or the other, we're actually becoming unhealthy. This is a tension that's supposed to exist in a church of God. Keep on representing your side, but do so with respect and humility and recognise there's another side to wherever you sit. This is a strength, Axis. This is a strength. This is good. This is good. So not only is two sides possible, two good sides are possible. Acts 15 teaches what the real enemy is, and it's not this. It's not this. We've, we've, we've thought it was at times, but it's not that. The real enemy is that we stop talking altogether. Ignorance is what Acts 13 tells us is the real enemy. Because we say ignorance is bliss, and yet doesn't that have a 24-hour expiry date? After a while, ignorance starts to smell. It's kind of like a cheap perfume. The first whiff might be okay, but it gives you a headache pretty quickly. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas teach us in Acts 15 that conversations are needed even when they're tricky. Because the alternative, just ignoring them, is toxic and will most certainly destroy unity. Where do we get that? Acts 15.39 is not the problem where this big argument breaks out. Acts 15.39 is the fruit of the problem. The problem lay two chapters earlier when John Mark left in 13.13 of Acts, Acts 13.13, and John Mark leaves, and no conversation seems to be had at all about it. He just slips off into oblivion. And the issue never, ever gets addressed. I've searched high and low. It's not there. Paul and Barnabas spent days and days and days together working alongside each other after he leaves. But it seems they never touched on this subject. They spent months working together. God uses them. They do good work. Yet they never talk about this. Why? Because it was awkward. It was easier to ignore. They probably knew they had a different perspective on it, but does the problem go away? Not even close. It gets worse. It stays there simmering under the surface. How do we have that knowledge? Because in chapter 15, when the name John Mark gets brought up, we see Paul go, So we know. We know it was an issue. They just had never talked about it. Don't even think about it, Paul Barks. He's not coming. Where is that conversation in chapter 13? 
Where's the reflection? Where's the processing? Where's the healthy conversation? It's not there. They should have processed then. Paul and Barnabas should have sat down for a chat, invited the Holy Spirit in right after he left and said, what do we learn? What do we learn from all of that? Why didn't it work to bring John Mark along? Why did he leave? Were we unclear of our expectations on him? Do we know what it's like to be on our team for a third person? Are we too hard? Was he undervalued? What did we miss? What could we have done differently to keep our team unified? Would we bring him along next time? Yes or no? Why not? Why? What would we say to him before we left next time if he comes? What conversation needs to be had so we're all on the same page and we don't repeat the mistakes of the previous trip? Those conversations belonged in chapter 13, but they're strangely absent. And then chapter 15 comes along in Acts and we have this big flare-up. No surprise, is it? It was sitting there simmering right underneath the surface until decision time and bam, they realise they've got a difference of opinion instead of continuing to talk all the way through. Thanks for all that, Jono. I'm Karen. She's Callie. We know we have a difference. We don't want to talk. We don't know what to do about it. We don't want to be in the same room anymore. What now? Well, a situation that doesn't develop overnight probably won't be solved overnight. However, I have a couple of reflections. One is from a friend of mine and one is my own. This first one Conflict reflections, make good and healthy the goal. One of my mates in Melbourne leads a large church and has done so for 20 years. And he's led it from being quite a conservative church to being a contemporary church. Now, you don't make that shift without some upset along the way, right? So I sat down with him one day and among other questions, asked him that. How have you dealt with all of that conflict of, of, of moving a large mass of people, because this is a church of thousands, from there to there? And he said, John, I don't avoid conflict. I lead into conflict. And I aim to make it good and healthy. I lead into conflict, and I aim for it to be good and healthy. I learned a lot that day. We can be God-honouring and people-honouring. And we can, we, can, we can go in learning to listen and we can honour people, but we can make it good. Secondly, try multiple conversations when the stakes are high, not one. Go into a conversation. I do this all the time. As you get to know me, you'll, you'll see it as a strategy. I say, we're not going to solve this today. We're just going to start the conversation. And I'm, I'm aiming over six conversations to get to a common understanding. But, but by saying that up front, look, look, I'm not bringing this up today because we need to solve it. I just want to begin the conversation. I've kind of set the expectation. Hey, we, we might walk away from this conversation with different perspectives, and that's okay. There's no rush. We're still friends, right? We're, st- we're still going to be together. And yet, and yet there's this issue that we need to talk about. And whether that takes three, four, five goes or more, it's okay. It's okay. We can be in harmony as people whilst we work out the issue together. Take more than one conversation. A man was over in Europe on holidays and he called back 
to Australia and his sister answered the phone. He said, hello, John calling from Europe. And she said, your cat's died. He said, what? You just tell me that straight up without warning? She said, well, what should have I done? Well, you start by day one when I call, say, the cat's on the roof. And then day two when I call, you say, the cat fell off the roof. And then on day three, you might say, the cat is at the vet's. And then on day four, you might say, the vet's saying the cat's not recovering very well. And then after a week or so, <laughs> tell me the cat died. But don't just say it in the first sentence of when I call. He called up the next day. His sister answered the phone. He said, Mum's on the roof. <laughs> you don't have to nail it in one, people. You don't have to nail it in one. Take your time. Coming back to Acts 15, conflict can be an opportunity for good. That's where our scripture actually landed this morning. We've been through the messy middle today, haven't we? But, but there's actually a very, very hopeful ending here in Acts 15. Paul goes on into blessing. Conflict doesn't get the last word in this story. They split up, yes. And what seemed like the end of the road in the moment actually ended up working for good. It was the beginning of a new one. And that can be our story too. And I say that as a message of hope to you today. I don't know where you're at and what, what kind of thoughts this brings up for you. But, but when you feel like, wow, I just can't see a way through this, it, it feels like a dead end. That's God's space, friends. That's God's space. That's where God turns up and does his best work when we reach the end of our rope. In fact, you've heard the prayer perhaps of where someone said to the Lord, I've reached the end of my rope and God says, oh, I've been waiting for that for a long time, Finally. Those prayers are great prayers. Those prayers are where God can show up and bring breakthrough and do things that only he can do. And so I remind you today of that. Paul goes forward in the story here in Acts 15, 40 and 41. You can too. You can too. It doesn't have to be the end of the road. It can be the opening of a brand new one. Look for God. Look for God in conflict. Look, look at what, what is God saying. Instead of being, my feelings are hurt and the other person's upset, look for God in, the, in it. Find the God story and, and press in in a mature way. Listen hard and, and pray hard and, and look for, for what God is opening up. Sometimes through us feeling like we've hit a wall. If we went around the room today, I'm sure we'd have story after story of where people thought, I've reached the end of the road. Uh, I've, this, this is hopeless. There's nowhere to go from here. We'd have story after story of where God showed up and opened up a whole new adventure. God specialises in that. And so this ought to put great hope in our hearts today as we look at our lives and certain aspects of it look like the shambles because that's what Acts 15 looks like. Let's be honest, this is the shambles. This is two super missionaries clashing heads and not wanting to be in the same room anymore. That's bad. And yet God, even there, shows up and breaks new ground. So I invite the music team forward as we close out in prayer this morning, and I invite you to stand as we pray. And I'm just going to ask God 
in these next couple of moments to show up and to break that new ground that we're talking about and to turn those things that look absolutely hopeless in the natural into God's stories. So just in this, the quietness of this moment, you invite the Holy Spirit to come and work on your heart and show you those areas where he wants to create something new. I want to pray for people this morning who've been avoiding conversations because they're awkward. Would you just invite the Holy Spirit into that space and give you courage and clarity and skill to create peace, to create unity by working through that? going in with humility, going in to listen, going in to grow. Holy Spirit, empower these people to rely on you and face up to those situations where they need your strength. There's others in the room today that need to make apologies. If you've attacked people, harmed their reputation, harmed them, the Lord calls you to humility, to repentance. This could be in our families, our marriages, our workplaces and our church. Maybe you say, well, I'm hurt too, Jono. But we take responsibility for our part. And we repent and we humble ourselves and we ask forgiveness. Lord, help us. And for our church as a whole, we ask for increase, increase in understanding, increase in discernment, increase to see the big picture and see where you're working. And the recognition that sometimes our views aren't wrong just because they're different to someone else's, but the same applies to them. Give us grace, Lord Jesus, that we might extend that to one another. Help us be a church that handles conflict well. Help us be a church that knows the difference between sorting out an issue and loving our brother and sister through it. God, give us your grace. Help us grow. We're going to go into a song where it says, leave behind your regrets and mistakes as we come to the altar. Would you lay some stuff down today that belongs in the past? Let Jesus do a deep work in you.